Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard and I'm your host. This episode we have a great guest on. We have Charlie Lyne. Hello. How are you, Charlie? Very good. Thank you for having me. No problem. And for those that don't know, Charlie is a director and he directed some great documentaries, which you may have seen on uh, various different streaming platforms. One of them was Beyond Clueless and there's a Beyond Clueless poster behind you, which is which Yeah, is I, I didn't set this up intentionally, but I feel like I'm at a press junket now. <laughs> it's great because you've got both of your films right behind you right now. <laughs> this is how self-involved I am. Um, and also uh, a film that we'll come on to a little bit later called Fear Itself. So, Charlie, tell me a little bit about you, uh, what got you into the whole filmmaking game, just so people have a a place to to start from. Sure, yeah. Well, I um, started a movie blog when I was 16, I think, at school, studying for my A-levels. Correct. It was called Ultra Culture, somewhat nonsensically. (laughs) Uh, I think that was because originally I had ideas of like writing about all kinds of culture and okay. then you know after one attempt to uh, review a play i realized <laughs> i should stick to what i actually had any interest in which was movies yeah um so i ran that for the latter part of my teen years and then was lucky enough that by the time i left secondary school i could kind of mutate it into something of a career so i started writing for other people mm-hmm. um about film getting all the writing work i could get anything that would sort of bring me slightly closer to paying my rent um and did that for a few years and then started making films although most of those um were in and of themselves kind of film criticism so uh, the first one i made beyond clueless is a movie about teen movies Mm -hmm. and it is itself kind of a teen movie because it's built out of all existing material yeah drawn from all the teen movies that i grew up with um And so, yeah, I feel like what I do now is still kind of an extension of what I've always done, which is kind of consume cinema, consume movies and regurgitate them out into something else, whether that's writing or another movie. Yeah. Um, And you uh, were also at Sundance with, with a short film. Yes, this is where we met. Yeah. Well, we met just before Sundance, <laughs> yeah. off there. Uh, tell us about that film. So it's my sh- slightly different than, than your previous... It is. It's very um, traditional. By comparison, yeah. it's a film called Fish Story. It's a short documentary. Um, and my, my short pitch for it is that it's a short documentary examining whether or not uh, in the 1980s, all the people in North Wales with fish-related surnames gathered together one day and met each other. <laughs> Um, and I'll leave it there. But the film investigates whether or not that that did happen. And I haven't seen it yet, but you will send me a link because it sounds right up my street. I will. It'll Very hopefully be quick. online soon enough if anyone listening is intrigued by that. Great. And just going go back to Beyond Clueless, um, obviously it's all about teen films, but you, um, I think we discussed Drunkenly in a Toilet when we first met um that you <laughs> that genuinely you, don't remember this you don't remember carry this. On. okay i think you were out wondering your rhino and i was just like what do you think of john hughes movies and you, you didn't really like them because uh, they weren't your films they weren't your teen movies i vaguely were, remember this yeah yeah no so i should say beyond clueless is is kind of like a an ode to the 90s and noughties teen movies that i grew up with and so a a common question at Q and A's when I screened the film or via email or however else people chose to get in touch with me was why didn't you do the golden era, the golden age of teen movies uh, in the 1980s with John Mm -hmm. Hughes and everything else. And my response was always just that it wasn't my 
era. It wasn't That's my generation enough, yeah. of teen movies. And I have to say, I think the reason that that era is so synonymous with kind of a golden age of teen cinema is because for the last 10 to 15 years, the people who've been in the positions to say what is a golden age, yeah. i.e. commissioners at newspapers mm-hmm. or film magazines or the people who write books about cinema were the people who grew up with those movies. That's true. And I think if you look now and you see a lot of sort of 90s nostalgia and enthusiasm for 90s teen movies popping up, which, you know, was great news for me with my film all about that subject. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's just indicative of how old the people now are who grew up with those it's movies. True. Which means, lucky for us, in 10 years, we're going to have like a massive wave of Zac Efron nostalgia. Jesus Christ. People are going to be talking about High School Musical left, right and center. Yeah. You know. And we'll be tutting at them. The canon um, is in constant flux. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, there's also the argument, why didn't you do the James Dean movies? And obviously because that's way, way off your... Well, exactly. And the odd, the odd time that, you know, a, a person of a considerably older generation would come and see Beyond Clueless. Yeah. Their question was that. Their question <laughs> was, oh, I, I, it was a shame not to see the movies of my youth in there. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't please everyone. No. And so. hopefully, you know, it's a window into, um, into a slightly different cinematic world than the one you grew up with if you grew up in a previous generation. Yeah. And um, are we allowed to talk about what you're doing right now? Probably shouldn't, actually, okay. just to sound very <laughs> mysterious and enigmatic. Okay, um, but it's something very cool. And um, if you, could, you can follow uh, Charlie on social networks and uh, to find out more. Yeah, and I'll, about lay, that. I'll lay hints. Yeah, in the future. Uh, so let's crack on with, with format. But we won't stray too far from what we were just talking about because my first pick of what to watch on Netflix um, this week, um, even though, um, as you know, and I've explained to you, Charlie, it doesn't matter if it's not on Netflix because uh, this podcast is about all streaming formats. So uh, you can you can see some of these recommendations on, on Amazon, even YouTube, things like that. So uh, don't feel like if you haven't got Netflix that you're excluded. Um, so this one in particular um, is one of your films, Charlie, and it's Fear Itself, which is, yeah, <laughs> which is available on the BBC iPlayer. Yes. Um, and it came out in 2015. And um, when I first saw this film, I was kind of blown away because I love anything that kind of delves into um, my favourite subject, which is horror. Um, and the first thing I always think is, what right has this person got to be making a documentary about horror? Because what do they know? This is what <laughs> this is what I think all the time about everything. Um, when I read um, a, a horror review or a, an article about horror, I'm always first to judge. But I, I really like Fear Itself. So you've passed the, the Jed Shepard test. Thank you. Which is <laughs> which is uh, one thing. Um, but this explain what Fear Itself is. I mean, I should be doing this because it's my pick. But you're, as you're here, what is Fear Itself? Well, I think that's a, an interesting thing that. Uh, to hear you say actually because my starting point was kind of exactly that that every film i'd ever seen on the subject of horror or every article i'd ever read seemed to be coming from a position of authority like i am the expert you will listen to me you will bow down at my mighty encyclopedic knowledge of the genre yeah which which Um, annoys me no (laughs) which can be very annoying either either if you uh you know don't trust that that person is the authority they're claiming or if you're just not necessarily so interested in that aspect of things. And for Mm. me, you know, the thing that's always fascinated me about horror, and I say this as someone who isn't by any means an expert, Mm -hmm. um, is the personal relationship that you form with it and and how it sort of just winds up being 
there throughout your life and especially at very formative stages of your life adolescence being a key one um and so i was intrigued to kind of try and tell a story about horror and about fear in cinema Mm -hmm. through that kind of personal prism um and so fear itself is exactly that it's a personal journey through through fear as as represented and evoked and encapsulated within all kinds of cinema so horror films but also unlikely sources of of terror which i think can be all the more terrifying if you're not expecting them that's that's very very true and you've used a similar format as you did in in beyond clueless um so there's multiple amazing horror films and non-horror films involved um in this particular film um some of my favorites are there um the birds uh, carnival of souls Mulholland drive um what how did you pick the films that you referenced um in fear itself because there's i mean maybe a hundred that you used uh, but you were saying that you you had a short list or a long list of maybe 500 600 yeah me and the the two producers on the film uh catherine and anthony who who worked very very intensely on it uh, as did i um were basically sat in a room with a cupboard in it and in the cupboard was five to six hundred horror movies and was we... this a cupboard in my house <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it we tried as 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 best as possible to kind of work our way through them but i think the thing i had to sacrifice right away was the thing that's very tempting to do when you start down this road which is like i want to fill this with all my favorite films i want to put in all my favorite moments from every horror film that's ever meant something to me and although you know i maybe did a little bit of that you kind of have to abandon that and instead let yourself be led by the point you're trying to make and the feelings you're trying to evoke. And so actually the way I ended up crafting the film was sort of thematically, you know, I, I knew I wanted to tell this personal story and the narrator of the film is, is this sort of fictional character who has their own journey that, that kind of runs in parallel to the films that they're talking about. And so I had that journey in abstract before I knew what films were necessarily going to populate it. Yeah. Um, and so from there, you know, I might be able to sneak in a few of my favorite films if they happen to line up with some particular subject I wanted to discuss. But at the same time, you know, you would end up making a window for a film that, you know, re- isn't necessarily worth everyone's time to watch in its entirety, but maybe illustrates one thing really wonderfully. So, yeah. you know, there's a very small section of the film about a fear of, heights a fear of rising off the ground and uh you know the obviously the first thing that's that come to mind with that are vertigo uh, you know well a, a bunch of hitchcock films yeah. um Don't but more kind of iconic excite uh, examples and yes, like you say, the film that wound up illustrating that point in for itself was Don't Look Down, which yeah. is a rather forgettable <laughs> Wes Craven-produced TV movie from the late 90s, but has this one really evocative sequence in it that I felt really kind of captured what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. That leads me on to the question, why, did, at any point, did you think you would narrate it? As this was your journey, did you think at some point that you might want to narrate it yourself? Yeah, at first I was very unsure. It It was one of those things where... I'm never really certain going into a film like this what I want the relationship between the voice and the images to be. Yeah. And I find I usually work that out somewhere along the way, or I hope I do. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't necessarily have a movie. But um, in this case, it so became clear that this kind of narrator character was going to have to encapsulate so much more than my own personal 
life experience and yeah. it became this kind of fictional beast um, that it basically became a character that mm -hmm. needed to be acted and uh, try as I might, my acting chops aren't <laughs> up to much as I soon found out because I was the one recording most of the temporary oh, narration. Really? Wow. Through, I'd love to hear know. that version. Oh God, so the first five and a half months of the process were just me sitting in a room listening to my own voice for an hour and a half at a time. <laughs> uh, and trust me, yeah, it became fairly numbing. So I was, yeah, very happy to be replacing that with, a, with an actor, especially one uh, as... Uh, fascinating and, and committed as Amy E. Watson, uh, who became our narrator right at the 11th hour. Um, and out of all of the films that you featured, are there any that kind of stand out or any that you discovered while, while uh, in this film process that you uh, have kind of held to your heart since then? Yeah, in fact, I tell you what, I'd absolutely, this isn't one of my choices, but I'd yep. absolutely recommend to people uh, the film Amber Alert, okay. uh, which is not a movie that anyone has heard of. Um, and was actually one of those few movies that I desperately wanted to put into Fear Itself and was so glad that I was able to because I think this film genuinely is deserving of a much, much bigger audience than it's had. Okay, I'm not sure I know this one. It's a tiny American indie film. Yeah. I think it was made in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and the premise is, uh, I don't know if you know what an Amber Alert is. It's an American thing. Yeah, I, it's so, like something like an accident or something. Or So there's a system, I can't remember if it's opt-in or if it's mandatory, but whenever there's a child kidnapping... Mm -hmm. uh, they put on the, the oh, okay. and so thousands if not you know millions of people get these messages uh and this film is more or less entirely just what would happen if you were in a car driving down the motorway and you saw the license plate that had been texted to you but what if that license plate was yours no 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 it's not they're not the car okay but the car just ahead of them has the license plate wow okay. but it's this very everyday scenario this is broad daylight throughout most of the film and it's just this incredibly creeping sense of anxiety that hangs over this very everyday thing and it's Such incredibly well set up yeah it, i can't really believe this good. isn't a bigger film is there anyone that we should know in it any no i think it's all i think the the lead is the director's wife Okay. I can't imagine it cost much at all to make. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's never been released here on any format. It might not even be available on iTunes, but <laughs> if you can like hack your way into American iTunes, I think you can find it on there. Wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I would love for more people to see that movie. I think it's a lost, great modern classic. Thanks so much, and um, I'd love for for more people to see Fear itself. Though being on iPlayer, I mean, it means most people can access it straight away. There you go, um, and they for don't free. have to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So that's my first choice. Um, and what is your first choice of what to watch on Netflix, Charlie? I think. Well, I'll stick to the one that is actually on Netflix. Okay. Um, and that is Happy Christmas. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's a film from a couple of years ago, um, directed by Joe Swanberg, who's an incredibly prolific American director, uh, yeah. was one of the central tenets of the Mumblecore movement about a yeah. decade ago. Um, and this was a film that I discovered kind of twice in that I remember hearing about it premiering at Sundance um, and like people seeming to warm to it reasonably so. And then I think it inexplicably was bought by like quite a big studio but then they never released it in the uk okay. and so like so many movies it just sort of washed up a couple of years later uh, without much fanfare and i remember discovering it one day on netflix and i just think it's the most beautiful little contained film that 
has an inexplicably quite big cast. Uh, yeah, Who, who's in it again? So the 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 way, or in fact, as a bit of a prelude to this, the way it came about is uh, just after Joe Swanberg had made his first like major movie with a real budget, which yeah. was Drinking Buddies. Yeah. Um, he basically just decided with basically no budget to shoot a movie in his own house mm-hmm. over the Christmas period and then try and get it into festivals and release it. But the incredible thing is he are, he now had a load of Hollywood buddies from <laughs> making this big movie. So this tiny movie that he shot with no budget in his own house has Melanie Linsky in it. Who I love. Uh, Anna Kendrick. Yeah. Um, what's her name? Lena Dunham. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, Swanberg himself and his unbelievably adorable child <laughs> who is like two years old in this film and the best baby actor I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And so it's just this tiny little story about a couple who live in Chicago in Joe Swanberg's house yeah. uh, who have a guest come to stay with them and who is uh, played by Anna Kendrick. And is Marnie Linsky the main, the main character? She's Swanberg's wife in Excellent. the film and she is the principal character, yeah. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, there's, there's very little to it. I couldn't even really tell you the plot. But I think it's about 70 minutes. Yeah. It's all shot on 16 millimeter. looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's an, a shining example of, of what cinema can be. Like made for next to no money. Just a group of friends in a house. And it's so intoxicating. You just want to live in it forever. There are a few directors that, that did that. Um, didn't Joss Whedon did that after the Avengers? He got everyone together in, in his house and filmed... Uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. yeah, I never saw it. Nor did I. I heard it a little again, bit pretentious. It was good. Yeah, a little bit. Well, it was black and white, wasn't it? That put me yeah. off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, again, same principle. I guess yeah. he was just off the back of that massive film and wanted the kind of relief of doing something much smaller. Yeah. And um, personally, you know, I, I much prefer Happy Christmas to Drinking Buddies. Yeah, I, mean, um, I like Drinking Buddies, but me I've too. heard really yeah. good things about, about Happy Christmas from, from a bunch of people. And in um, fact, another small recommendation. Uh, if anyone has a, a spare hour and is remotely interested in being a filmmaker, I couldn't recommend enough Joe Swanberg's keynote speech from South by Southwest a couple of years ago. Okay, It's the most refreshing thing you've ever heard. It's an hour presentation on wow. his career as a filmmaker in which he doesn't talk about the art of filmmaking once. All he talks about is how he paid his rent throughout the process. <laughs> wow. So he gives you exact figures of what he was paid for every single movie he was ever made, how he got the funding from projects that had no budget whatsoever to multi-million dollar Hollywood movies. It's so frank, so honest, and a, and a better crash course in the economics of being a filmmaker than anything else I've ever heard. That's, that's great. I want to watch that after this. Um, great, thanks. And that's available on... So on that's on Netflix. Netflix, that's great. For the time being. Um, thanks for that. Um, I should back, uh, yeah. I should, I should back uh, plug, by the way. Yeah. When we were talking about Beyond Clueless, I totally forgot to say that is also on Netflix, but it only is. for like one more month. Wow, okay. It's right at the end of its licensing period. Okay, I'll, I'll put links up on, on, on all very, very socials. So I highly um, re- recommend everyone get on there, rate it very highly, <laughs> yeah. leave an appreciative comment, maybe something along the lines of Netflix. Renew this now. <laughs> Please do. Netflix is getting rid of their, of their rating system, though, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Well, thumbs up it. <laughs> thumbs again up and it. again and again. It is really, really good. I mean, that could have been easily been one of my choices, but I thought Fear Itself is a little bit newer. Bless you. Um, on to my second choice now. Um, 
And this one is, is a bit of a strange one. This is essentially a short art film. Now, this may, may not tickle everyone's uh, fancy, um, but I think there are, there are a section out there of these listeners who will appreciate that I'm bringing them something a bit, little bit different. This film is called Possibly in Michigan, and it's by an director stroke artist called Cecilia Condit. Um, and she is currently a professor of film at like the the University of Wisconsin or something like that. But back in the 80s, back in 83, she did a, a bunch of art films that no one really kind of paid attention to until relatively recently. Um, and I kind of, I go in a lot of horror blogs and random weird websites. I kept on seeing this uh this film title pop up possibly michigan um mostly people saying has anyone seen this or can anyone find this and people say no what is this and just, i just kept on seeing that name all the time and then i noticed it was on youtube i just searched for the name it was on youtube a really scratchy vhs copy of it it's only 12 minutes long so it's a short economical it's great so while you can pause this and watch it and come back if you want um but it is really hard to explain what's happening because you're put straight into the action straight away and what you see is something that's i think it's shot on vhs a shot on video and it's a really melodramatic looking um woman with lots of makeup hair done really nice 80s fashion walking through a mall and she's walking through a mall and she's interacting with people in the mall and she's looking at things but there's someone following her the whole time and this person that's following her looks very very strange um and the film escalates within this 12 minutes a lot happens um because you see her kind of avoiding this kind of stranger that's following her and it obviously i can't tell you the ending but it culminates in something quite quite shocking that happens um but it's one of these movies that you may come home drunk or from, from going out and you stick on and you just can't believe what you've seen you've got to watch it again the next morning to make sure you really did see this and as you can imagine it being an art film it's not it's not for everyone and it's not the maybe satisfying ending that you may see in hollywood movies but it's really, really interesting, and I think if I think it'll be really inspiring to to people out there um, who may want to see something a little bit bit different. And um, I think it's really good for if you're a horror um, filmmaker or into horror as well, because there are certain moments in there that are beyond any Hollywood horror at the moment. Just the sense of dread and doom, because you know something's going to happen, um, and the tension just builds and builds and builds. And this this woman who is now a um, a professor in some university she probably doesn't realize the kind of reaction she's she's got from this film because it's just it's bubbling under right now in that horror community this this film called possibly in michigan um these um, are exactly the kind of recommendations i wanted when i was making for it yeah. this is sounds oh, amazing it's really good. i think you'd really really love it um, i'll send you a link afterwards um but yeah so in order to find this it's on youtube i believe that someone's uploaded it maybe slightly better quality onto vimeo um but I think it keeps getting taken down. I don't know by who, or don't, I don't know why. It doesn't have very many views, but um, I think it, it really, really should. Um, it's all the more satisfying, though, if you have to hunt for it. Yes. That's how you want to find a 12-minute art horror film. Exactly. And it almost feels like it's a snuff movie as well, because, <laughs> because it feels like you're watching something that no one else has seen or no one else should see, because some of the stuff that happens is, is really weird and really strange. Um but it's it's I love it, and that's my second recommendation of what to watch on Netflix. I'm sold. <laughs> um, what's your next pick? So my second one is um, 
a TV show. Uh um, And I think technically the way it will be available to stream is that if you're a Sky subscriber, you could probably watch it on Sky Go. Okay. Because for all the three people who have Sky Go subscriptions... (laughs) This one's for you. Um, I actually do have Sky Go. There you go. Okay, well, this is perfect. So this is a show that premieres, I think, on April 3rd. So in a couple of days, maybe by the time you're hearing this, Mm -hmm. that date has already passed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a show called Nirvana, The Band, The Show. Um, I've heard a lot about this, but I also don't know a lot about this. So this is adapted from a web series that was made about 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, which people may be familiar with, kind of cult hit uh, show made by these two guys in uh, Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, they uh, subsequently went on to make a couple of films, both of which are brilliant. And I also highly recommend one was called The Dirties. uh, And it was about uh, two kids plotting a school shooting. And one was called uh, Operation Avalanche. Oh, those guys. right? Which was at Sundance a couple of years ago and is about the faking of the moon landing. And uh, they're wonderful, funny films. And if you go back and watch the original web series, you can see where they kind of develop their sense of humor and their sense of style. Yeah. Both the web series and the two films have this kind of pseudo mockumentary feel yeah. where you're really not sure whether it's being presented as fiction or documentary half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, as a result of all of this, uh, Vice, with their new Viceland TV station, have um, commissioned a, basically like a bigger budgeted re boot of the uh the original web series nirvana the band the show which i think is brave on vice's part not least because everything about this show and this concept seems designed to alienate as many viewers as possible (laughs) for a start the title nirvana the band the show (laughs) what this denotes is that uh it's about a band called nirvana the band which is spelt uh n-i-r-v-a-n-n-a um for legal reasons it's not clear whether those are legal reasons on the part of the characters within the show or on the part of the makers of the show it's great it's so meta uh so they're in a band called nirvana the band you never really see them play any music at all the entire show is about them trying to get a gig booked at a toronto music venue called the riverly okay um which again is an incredibly bit of niche humor basically just for people living in Toronto, (laughs) which is that this venue is like not a particularly highly esteemed venue. You know, it's the equipment. Imagine the slightly shitty local gig venue in your town Uh and substitute that for the Rivoli in every (laughs) synopsis of this show. And so really them trying to get a gig there is just an excuse for these eccentric schemes that they enact in every episode. And most of these enthrallingly uh, involve enacting a scheme in in the real world to unsuspecting members of the public and at times it becomes very unclear what if anything about the whole scenario is false in any way um and the show uh, yeah despite all of this explanation that is required to even get someone to sit down and watch a single episode of it once you're watching it it's the most beautifully indescribable merge of styles techniques sensibilities it's genuinely the most interesting use of mockumentary i've seen in a decade um it's incredibly funny the two guys uh, matt and jay who are the leads have just beyond my imagination improv skills improvising not only the comedy of the show but the whole structure of the show as they go you know it's a mockumentary but it will do things like have flashback sequences to things that we've not even seen (laughs) it will have like rushman style dual perspectives it's the most ambitious bizarre 
thing I've seen all year and no one is watching it because it's on Viceland <laughs> and Viceland has about three viewers. But I do often watch Viceland actually just for the, the weird documentaries. There you go. Well, stay up late, whatever night this is on. And I cannot recommend it enough. I will do. Um, it sounds a little bit like a surreal version of Flight of the Concords. It's definitely in that ballpark. It, okay. the, the, a lot of the humor is a similar style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could watch it for the humor alone. But yeah. what really makes me love it is just the sheer imaginative approach in the way that they blend real and fictive elements. It, it's so clever and you spend half the show just wondering how on earth they managed to kind of conjure this impossible and yet somehow real world. I'm surprised that Adult Swim didn't, didn't pick it up because um, Adult Swim's programming seems to be kind of a lot of the, this kind of unusual left field stuff like the Tim and Eric show. And this kind of sounds like it's in the Tim and Eric vein. It's in, Maybe. yeah, it, it, that's a good point, actually, because I, what I've always imagined is stopping this show from crossing over in any way is all of these things like the clunky title, yeah. the fact that it's not really clear what the plot is, the fact that it's not really clear whether it's real or fake <laughs> half the time, and all these things are kind of a barrier to getting into it. But you're right, things like Adult Swim, where they sort of embrace the clunkiness mm-hmm. and the awkwardness of some of these TV formats, it certainly feels like it's in that vein. So kudos to Vice for yeah. taking a chance on it. That's great. Thank you. That uh, Thanks for your second choice. My final choice of what to watch on Netflix is another kind of short documentary, um, which is also a little bit arty. So I'm on, I've got a theme uh, this week. Um, this is called American Reflex, and Reflex is spelled um, R-E-F-L-E, triple X. That should give you some kind of I- idea of where this is going. Um, so We're having th- to do a lot of spelling out this episode. <laughs> is, People yeah. at home with their notepads. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so this was uh, originally made in 2013. I think it hit a few uh, festivals, but then really only kind of um, got seen a couple of years later when it was released online on, on YouTube, in fact. So this is available on, on YouTube um, and really Daily Motion. I don't know whoever watches anything on Daily Motion. The French. Do they really? The French, they're huge on it. Do they object to YouTube or? I don't know what it is. Just for some reason, culturally, I'm sure YouTube is pretty big there now as yeah. well. But Daily Motion really took root in France a long time ago. That's interesting. Okay, uh, so this is um, f- made by a um, an artist, a little bit like the last one, called Ali Coates, and it stars uh, the producer um, who was also an artist called Signe Pierce. S I G N E. Spelling out again, Signe Pierce, and she is a very interesting, outspoken artist. And what this film is about, and this is going to be a hard sell to everyone who's listening, it is about Signet, and I'm probably saying that wrong, her dressed in a um, a very short blue dress, wearing a silver mask, walking down a high street, basically, at night. Um, and it's in Myrtle Beach, which is in, I think it's in Florida? Um, I thought it was California. Is it, if it's I think her, it's California. Okay, that's great. I might be wrong. No, you're probably right. So that's Myrtle Beach. So all she's doing is walking from one end of the street to the, to the other. And this is across um, maybe about 15, 20 minutes. Um, and the aim of the piece was originally just to see um, the reaction someone wearing a silver mask, wearing a really short skirt, would be would get from, from the general public. Um, and they expected um, maybe a few wolf whistles, maybe a few... Uh, kind of other cat calls or maybe just some confusion some some confused faces but what they got was something beyond incredible they got 
to see um, a slice of society you don't really see. You've got to see the real kind of dark side of society where people are seeing something that's different from them walking down the street um, and reacting in a natural way because there is a camera there, but the camera is almost becomes lost and it's just part of, of the crowd. Um, so what happens is essentially Signet, she gets abused as she walks down the street. She gets spat on, she gets punched, and at one point she's she's thrown onto the ground and she's covered in her own blood. And you just think, what has this person done? Rather, all this person's done is walk down the street wearing a dress and wearing a silver mask. And this is like freaking everybody out. And and people are like shouting and and just just abusing this person just for being doing something different. Um and it's just you just cannot believe that the human species is capable of doing something for, for basically no reason. I mean, obviously, um, history proves that people are, are not very nice. Um, but yeah, this is just incredible because you've never seen it in this kind of format before where this person is literally not doing anything besides walking down the street. When was it made? Um, so originally 2013. Um, oh, okay. It's quite recent. Yeah. Right. And then... And was this like made for... YouTube. Maybe. It was just made. I think it's for originally for just to be um, submitted to um, festivals, right. and um, I don't think they expected anything out of it, or I don't think they expected to get this kind of reaction. Um, maybe it would be as part of like a, an, an art piece in a gallery or something. Mm. But um, yeah, this video is kind of um, there's, there's tons of articles written about this video because it kind of represents humanity and the kind of uh, the lengths we go to um, to. Um, yeah, to, to stop someone um, in their tracks if they're different from us. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a horrible watch, and it's it's you can only really watch it once b- before you kind of get a bad taste in your mouth. But it's something I recommend everyone watch at least once. Um, yeah, I work. These are these are amazingly <laughs> avant-garde and fascinating recommendations. Thank you. Um, so again, that's called American Reflex. Uh, Reflex with with three X's by Ali Coates, um, and is available on on YouTube. Um, so for free. That's my final choice of what to watch on Netflix. Wonderful. And what's your final choice? So finally, uh, is going to be a film I watched very recently, um, Carnage, uh, which is yeah. the first film yeah the first feature length project from uh, simon amstel uh wow better known uh, to british listeners as a um tv presenter and comedian yeah pop world pop and world and he's someone who i completely idolized as a as a kid watching on pop world which for so those good. of the wrong generation was a um Cult of the wrong, wrong of, of, if you were unlucky enough not to be uh, a young person or a child uh, when Pop World was airing on Sunday mornings, yeah, um, it was a Channel 4 music show, um, hosted by uh, well, two presenters, but the, the one that I kind of became utterly fixated on was this guy called Simon Amstel, yeah. um, who then went on to host a string of other TV programs, became a successful comedian, and has now made this film called Carnage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an exclusive, again, for the BBC iPlayer. Awesome. Um, and it's essentially a documentary, an imagined documentary, made from the perspective of, uh, I think, 50 or so years from now, in a society that has uh, long moved past the point of eating meat. Wow, okay. And where veganism is the norm. And the documentary is uh, looking back uh, in a comedic way and um, coming. The, the sort of approach it takes is coming to terms with 
the horrific crimes of our meat-eating ancestors. <laughs> so it's looking back at uh, current life, stretching back all the way to, I think, the 1950s, and looking at attitudes to meat-eating um, through the prism of lots of different pop-cultural selections as well as lots of invented archival material. There's lots of good celebrity cameos in there. Um, everything from fictional game shows to, uh, you know, fictional kind of Saturday night ITV dramas with Martin Freeman. Um, <laughs> and it's this, you know, on, on one level, as a, as a kind of technical exercise, it's this amazing blend of uh, real and fake archive weaved together into this a very this very evocative elaborate patchwork um but it's also this quite unbelievably effective bit of essentially vegan propaganda um <laughs> which could turn people off um well yeah but see this is the thing this is what i think is very clever about it like i've seen a lot of documentaries about vegetarianism or veganism yeah. or just the environment um and I think what you're used to seeing is a certain kind of um, preachiness or a certain kind of heavy handedness that to me as a meat eater um, really just makes me feel like it's either makes me feel annoyed that I'm being sort of lectured at yeah. or like the thought of becoming vegetarian or vegan is just too big a step like it seems so all or nothing that it just feels like a huge life change. And even if the moment that you're watching the film, you feel like you should do it, you just forget a day later. Mm -hmm. Whereas what I think this film does so cleverly is a, it's really funny. So you enjoy watching it throughout. It has a sense of humor about the kind of funny aspects of veganism, the culture around it. Um, it's not a kind of stern lecturing film. And so instead what it does by painting this portrait of this supposed history where veganism became the norm is it shows incremental change where people just started to eat less and less meat and they made these small decisions that cumulatively led to a world in which there was no meat eating. And it makes that feel, A, very necessary and vital and mm -hmm. B, much more doable because you feel like, oh, I could just, for now, I could just eat a bit less meat or I could just start drinking soy milk or whatever else. And suddenly, it, I don't know, you feel like there's this great possibility in the promise of becoming vegetarian or vegan, which I've never got from anything like this. <laughs> and I say this as someone who is not a vegan, uh -huh. nor has ever really seriously considered before this being a vegan. Okay. That's how effective this comedy documentary is. <laughs> um, so is it, do you, uh, is Simon Amstel um, a vegetarian or a vegan? So he is, he's been a vegetarian for a long time and he's okay. been a vegan for, I think, five or six years. Right, okay. Um, and so the movie is, is undoubtedly sort of agitprop on yeah. his part. But, but not preachy, as in uh, not preachy. to the level of annoyance. And I think that what's so clever about it is the, the angle it takes is explicitly um, persuading the people of the 2060s mm -hmm. to forgive their ancestors <laughs> and understand why people felt it was okay to eat meat. And so rather than being sort of, uh, you know, lectured or, or feeling like, there's an anger directed at you, you feel like there's a sympathy and an understanding directed at you. And so when you start feeling guilty about eating meat, you feel like that guilt's coming from within you rather than <laughs> from the film. It's very psychologically That's clever great. and I'm still sort of processing it all. <laughs> so I highly recommend that. And again, it's like 
65 minutes or something. So it's a very easy, funny, breezy watch. So do you think you'll, you'll get to the point where um, you will give up uh, me, perhaps, or s- slow down a little bit? I'm, I've already slowed down, okay, certainly. And, I, and for me, that's feeling a lot more doable than a, um, than a sudden stop, which I think's always felt a little bit impossible. Yeah. But yeah, you start realizing how easy it is to eat less meat, and I could imagine just getting to the point where you think, eh, I could probably just do without. So potentially Simon Amstel has not only changed your life, he's, he could potentially change the world. I think it's, it's a powerful it's film. People, yeah. Genuinely. That's great. And you wouldn't kind of expect it from Simon Amstel, who, I mean, I know he is quite, well, very opinionated on, on everything he's ever done. I think he's a, a bit of a genius, the way he took... Um, 90s music interviews and turn them into an art form um i think he's, he's great um but yeah that's a, that's a, an amazing um uh, recommendation and that's available on bbc iplayer right now that is i think indefinitely indefinitely that's great a little bit like fear itself is that ever going to come off apparently not originally it was just going to be one year but i think they've okay. changed their policy and thought Let's just leave everything up there. That's great. Uh, well, thanks very much for that. Thank you. Um, and thank you for the recommendations. No problem. I'll, I'll send you some links afterwards because I think all mine are free on, on, on YouTube. Wonderful. Um, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and the things you do and that secret project you're doing right now? Where, do, where can people Yeah, that'll look? become not secret eventually, <laughs> uh, I hope. Um, Twitter is probably the best place. Mm-hmm. I'm at Charlie Line, L-Y-N-E. Um, and yeah, the two movies that we've talked about of mine are both quite easily accessible if yep. you've got Netflix or access to the iPlayer. That's Fear Itself and Beyond Clueless. They're the ones. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very accessible. <laughs> and if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, um, I'm also on Twitter at Jed Shepard, J-E-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D, because this is the spelling uh, podcast. <laughs> um, I'm also the same on Instagram. And if you want to find out about my records, uh, my record label, it's postpoprecords.com. Other podcasts are also available um, on the Postpop Network, Monkey Tennis, Make Heads, um, and Path of Least Resistance, and potentially some other ones coming soon. Um, and yeah that's it thanks very much for tuning once again Um, if you have liked what you heard let me know on Twitter Um, and please rate review and subscribe on iTunes Uh, from me Jed Shepard I will see you next week thanks very much Charlie thank you